Welcome to Jewelry Artist, where we examine the art and business of making jewelry. Join me for intriguing conversations with jewelry artists who will inform and inspire you. I'm Katie Hacker, your host. My guest today is Jeff Fulkerson. He's an award-winning jewelry designer, and he specializes in combining lapidary work with metalsmithing. So we invited him onto the show to talk about the techniques for inlay and also what to look for when you're buying materials. Hey, Jeff, it's so fun to have you here today to talk about inlay and all the other wonderful things that you do. Well, it's wonderful to be here. You know, I always like talking with you. We always have a good time. I like visiting you with Tucson. One of my good memories is sitting down with you between classes and your wife and having some lunch and just talking about class and the state of the industry. And it seems like we always cook up some good ideas. <laughs> well, actually, mostly you do, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice of you to say. No, I think you have a, you always have a lot of different irons in the fire, you know. So today um, we're talking a little bit about inlay because this is one of the things that people know you for and you have a class with, an Interweaves website. Um, but maybe for people who aren't so familiar with the kind of work that you could do, can you describe your style of inlay? Sure. Uh, inlay is essentially cutting a stone to fit into a channel. It used to be called channel work. Uh, and you're inlaying a stone into a channel. And uh, most people, they get all excited, you know, when they're setting stones and they say, oh, you can't use glue. Well, that's the only way you can set stones with inlay is you, you uh, either use super glue or epoxy. Once you've cut the stone to fit the channel, then you glue it in. And there's... There's a lot of, there's a, I, I kind of break it down into two kinds of inlay, either flush where the stone is ground down flush with the uh, metal or your channel. And then uh, what I call pillow inlay. I don't know if that's the correct term or not. That's what I call it, where you, uh, each stone comes up and is polished on its own before it's inserted into the uh, material, into your channel. And then there's lots of different, you know, then it's just off to the races. There's all kinds of different techniques and embellishments and things you can do uh, in your inlay work. And what to me uh, sets, sets people apart is creating an intarsia. And sometimes people use the terms interchangeably. Oh, that's an intarsia. Well, it might be an intarsia. Uh, an intarsia is just basically making a picture out of rocks. Um, and that can be something very simple as just, you know, gluing together a black stone and a white stone and a black stone and a white stone. Uh, that would be an intarsia. Or you can get very okay. elaborate. Uh, they used to, you know, make pictures literally out of rocks. You know, uh, I think it started in Italy. But it'd be like a cabin with a mountain in the back. And that was an intarsia. But you can get real fancy and do all kinds of things. Jesse Menangia, of course, is the master of that, where he, you know, does the scenes like from Monument Valley. And he makes this incredible intarsia. And then he installs or inlays that intarsia into a belt buckle or a pole tie or something. So he's really creating the whole picture with the mm -hmm. stones before putting it into the metal piece. Yeah. Um, you've called inlay painting with rocks. Is that what you mean? Yeah, because 
the thing I like about inlay, if you're just doing silver work, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. That's how I started. That's pretty much how most people start. But you're then, if you want to incorporate stone stones into your work, then you have to go out and find somebody who can cut the stone uh, for you or, or go buy a cabochon. And then you have to create around that cabochon. Uh, but if you can cut your own stones, and especially in doing inlay, you're now controlling both uh, parts of your creation. And now I can, I can, you know, I can do whatever I want. I want a red stone here. I want a black stone there. I want a yellow or a green. And I can I can create those and inlay them into my piece. And basically, then I, I am painting with rocks. I'm creating my colors based on what I want, not on, you know, here's all, you know, go buy a cabochon and that's, you're done. Uh, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> yeah. I th well, yeah. I mean, I think what you're talking about is, is also creating the whole thing pretty much from scratch in a way. Yes. Yeah. You know, where, um, like you said, with a cabochon or with a bezel, you have to find the right cabochon or vice versa. This way, the whole piece is your own design. But I think right. people might be a, lim a little, um, I mean, I think it's really exciting to think about being able to cut your own stones to use in your metalwork, but mm -hmm. also might be a little intimidating for someone who hasn't tried lapidary before. Well, what's interesting, most people, you know, go down to their lapidary, their local lapidary club or association, and uh, they learn how to cut cabochons. And I love cutting cabs. Cabs are fun. They're in, in once, I mean, I've obviously done a lot of them, but uh, it's it's to be an expert, fabulous, top of you know top ninety nine percent. Well, that's difficult. But you can be in the top ninety percent and just have so much fun cutting calves, and they're nice and they look great in jewelry. Most people start that way, and then they get interested in inlay, and then they want to start trying to uh, do inlay work. I kind of ended up, I came at it the other way around because a friend of mine said, Oh man, you have to start, you got to start doing inlay. I'll show you. And so, uh, cool. Michael, Ch Michael Cheatham, uh, who, uh, who is actually, he's been in lapidary journal a number of times over the years. He dragged me over to his studio and said, this is what you do. And so I started doing inlay. And then one day I had this piece of turquoise and I was looking at it and I was thinking, this would make a great cab. So I kind of muddled through it, made a cab, and I went, hey, I like this. So I, I kind of started at it backwards, but I don't think it's intimidating if you get some help. In other words, most people, most bigger cities have uh, some kind of lapidary club that you can go to, and they'll get you started cutting stones, and you start to get an understanding of how it works then you can uh, branch out and start doing your inlay stuff because the principles are the same as far as cutting and mean? polishing. Oh, if you're making cabs? Yeah. In other words, uh, the way you polish a rock, whether it's going to be for inlay or for a cabochon, you know, you start rough grinding it down, getting it into shape. And once you get it to shape, then you start uh, refining it and polishing it. So you finally get down to that final high polish. And that's going to be the same process, whether you're making 
a cabochon or you're doing a real intricate piece of inlay. The only difference is with the inlay, a lot of times you're making an intarsia, which really is you're creating your own stone. Uh, think of it like uh, uh, an easy illustration would be a checkerboard. Everybody knows what a checkerboard looks like. So I've done those with uh, black jade and silicated magnesite, which is white. So you got black and you got white. So you cut out a bunch of black squares and you cut out a bunch of white squares and you start gluing them up and uh, truing it up. And voila, you have an intarsia of a checkerboard. Now you can take that and uh, trim it and, and cut it and fit it and put it into a channel. Um, and Yeah, whether that's a bezel you, you made or a, or a thin yeah. channel along the middle of a cuff, for example. Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing with intarsias. You can create uh, an intarsia cabochon uh, and then set your intarsia just like you would any other cabochon. So that's, oh, that's there's amazing. really... Yeah, there's really a lot of freedom in it. And then you get to, you know, then there's all kinds of fun things like doing dots, uh, whether they're uh, stone dots or metal dots. You drill a hole in the stone. Easiest way to, to uh, I guess, explain it is if you have um, 16 gauge, say a piece of 16 gauge silver wire, you drill a hole that's the same size as that 16 gauge. Um, and when you drill, you use a diamond drill. When you drill that in the stone, you now have uh, a hole that's the exact size of your wire. And you can then use a little drop of super glue and glue that piece of wire right into your stone and then just polish it off like you would uh, anything else. Oh, yeah, so that it's flush with the surface of the stone. Exactly. And you can yeah. also, um, you can do the opposite. I A lot of times on the side of a big uh, cuff or something, I'll drill holes in the silver, and then you, uh, you uh, cut a small little cab, not really a cab, you're cutting a, a, a cone shape to fit into that metal, say with a piece of turquoise or a piece of coral or something. And you super glue that in and then you grind that down and, and polish it up and you've done the exact opposite. Instead of putting a piece of a, a metal dot into stone, you're putting a stone dot into metal. Looks I love good. the look of that. and it, it creates a really beautiful texture on the sides. I think something that's unique about your work is it's always beautiful from all angles. Well, Front, thank you. Back, side. Yeah, I know you strive for that, and it's obvious, you know, when you're looking at your jewelry. Well, and just kind of a jewelry, my kind of philosophy is I don't want to make stuff that you can go down to the mall and buy. I want to make stuff that's unique and different, and uh, people go, oh, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. And along with that, you know, kind of that jewelry philosophy, you want to make sure that the inside looks as good as the outside. And a lot of times on the inside of a cuff, uh, as you know, my wife, Roxanne, is Greek. And so I, a cuff that I made her, I stamped a Greek key on the inside of it. Now, nobody, in, you know, when she's wearing it, nobody has any clue it's there. But, it, you know, she's Greek and she loves it. And she knows she's wearing yeah. a Greek key. 
you know. Well, it adds to the yeah. meaning for her beyond. Yeah. I mean, it would already be pretty special because you made it, but, you know, having that message there that just she knows yeah. about, I think that's really sweet. Yeah. And then, it, and it's when you take off a piece of jewelry, whether it's a ring or a pendant or a, a cuff, you want the whole thing to look good. I mean, stop and think about a pendant. You know, people wear a pendant. Most pendants, you know, you see the front unless they're flopping around. You just see the front. Right. But you know what? I want the back to look just as good as the front. It may not be as elaborate, but I want the craftsmanship. I want the techniques that were used, uh, the workmanship to be just as good. I feel like for some people, that's something that would transpire over time, that as they grow into their jewelry making skills, they would that would become more important. But I feel like for you, you kind of started out this way. I remember you telling a story about making your first piece of jewelry when you were 16, and you still have it, is that right? <laughs> I don't. I sold it. <laughs> uh, I wish I had. I wish I had. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you're 16, somebody offered you money, I took it. You <laughs> you're but, professional uh, that's right <laughs> and now i are one <laughs> no you, it's it's interesting because uh one of the things uh i talk to a lot of i mean i teach a lot of classes and i talk to a lot of people and a lot of uh, people always want to know well how do you transition from being like this is my hobby to this is my job and one of the first things is you have to you have to be technically sound. Um, you know me. <laughs> uh, yes, this, I've, I've taken I was, your class. You are very meticulous. I I was teaching a class. I think it was Bead Fest Santa Fe three or four years ago, whenever it was. And this lady came in wearing this killer ring. I mean, it was gorgeous. I said, oh, "Let me see that. Take that off. I want to see it." And it's this beautiful ring. I mean, beautiful. It was beautiful work. It was just crazy good. And she goes, oh, yeah, I bought this from so-and-so, and I love it. And I flip it over. And so here's this gorgeous, big, beautiful, beautiful ring. And basically, she took a piece of half-round wire, made a loop, and soldered it on the back and called it a ring, which I'm sorry, that drove me nuts. So I emailed the gal. <laughs> no. I said, I did. I said, sweetheart. Artist tips from Jeff. <laughs> listen, yeah, unsolicited advice. I said, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. I said, but you're way too good to put a crappy band like that on this magnificent piece of jewelry. It, I mean, it was a piece of artwork, you know, but it's wow. really funny. I've done that actually a couple of times, <laughs> but it's been well received both times. I had a student one time saying the exact same thing. Um, she, you know, great skills, you know, uh, and she was doing something and I, and I took her aside. I said, okay, look, you don't get to make stuff like that anymore. You're better than that. And, you know, I mean, I'm trying to be encouraging, believe it or not. Yeah. But, uh, we, if you're going to make the transition from loving hands at home to professional, uh, all, right. all, all parts of the, the piece are important. Yeah. And there are certain things I think you have to attend to, right? When you're moving yeah, on. Definitely. Definitely. You have to attend to everything, you know. Technically sound, artfully yeah. made. Right. 
And it has to, everything has to look good. Oh my gosh. I kind of want that call from you and also fear it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) Well, when people are shopping for art jewelry and in particular inlay, let's Mm -hmm. say someone is rather than making their shopping, what should they be looking for? Because I think that does inform a person who's making, you know, what they should be striving for. Right. Well, there's, there's a couple things. There's, you see uh, a lot of this stuff that um, is kind of crappy. I'm sorry. That's, that's the best word I can use because what people have done is they've kind of shortcutted it. And if that's a word, they've taken a short. It is now. (laughs) It is now. And instead of doing the lapidary work, they cut out some pieces and then they epoxy it all in there and polish it up. And to me, uh, you want to avoid stuff like that. And basically you can, uh, the price will tell you. Uh, I remember years ago I had on one of my inlay cuffs uh, and it, you know, I'd won some awards with it and stuff. And I mean, you know, it's pretty nice piece of jewelry and we were going sure. through Gallup. So I'm, you know, I love, I love Indian jewelry. So we're going through and I'm looking in this one shop. This guy comes up, hi, can I help you? I said, I'm oh, just looking. And he's like following me around the counter. And he finally goes, oh, could I, could I see your, your uh, bracelet? I said, sure. So I handed it to him. He's like, wow. He said, who made this? Who's the artist? And I said, me. And he goes, what? You made this? You know? <laughs> and I go, yeah. He goes, wow, that's really nice. And so we keep walking and, you know, I'm looking at stuff. And he goes, uh, would you sell that to me? I said, I wouldn't sell you this one, but I'll make you another one if you want. He goes, how much? And I said, 5000 He goes, 5000 And he reaches into his case and he pulls out. He says, I can buy these for, you know, I forget, you know, 500 all day long. I said, yeah, and look at it. And you could, you could see his whole countenance, his shoulders, everything just drop. And he kind of put his head down. And he goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> and so you, you kind of, you, uh, you have to look at stuff. You have to look at a lot of stuff and you, you can com- compare prices that should help you. You also, you want to go somewhere, uh, where you've got a reputable, uh, dealer that you're buying from uh, because they're not going to sell you a fake. They, they have their reputation to uphold. Um, but there's a lot of places that, you know, they just get stuff in there. It's just inventory to them. And, you know, we'll sell you this one or we'll sell you that one. So it, it's kind of buyer beware, I guess. But yeah, the maybe more, looking at a lot of, a lot of stuff yeah. is a good advice because the more you see high quality then you'll know kind of what you're looking for. I would imagine these exactly. places, there needs to be no space between the stones, for example. That's right. an easy one. Right. If it's flush, they would need to be level. Right. Yeah, and that's one thing, uh, speaking of that, uh, the margins or the seams between stones and between metal, to me, that's the mark of somebody who knows what they're doing and somebody who doesn't. Uh, when you... And it's practice, of course, but you have to be meticulous. I'm kind of a I'm kind of a hurry up and get it done kind of guy, except when it comes to inlay, because when you try and hurry up, you screw it up, you know, and you're grinding it. And, and, and when you're working on that little piece, you're trying to fit in there. You grind a little tiny bit and then you fit it. 
and you grind a tiny bit more and then you fit it and you grind a tiny bit more and then you fit it and you grind a tiny, you know, and it's, 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 it can be tedious because what happens is you're like, I'll grind it all off. And then you go, oh <laughs> man, it's too small. <laughs> so you can't, you know, and I mean, there again, it's, it's practice. It's like everything. It's just practice. When you're grinding off a little bit at a time like that, are you using a wheel or are you using a rotary tool or what exactly um, do you, how do you take off almost, a bit at a time? Right. Almost exclusively, I use either a lapidary arbor, uh, in other words, a, a wheel or a flat lap because uh, I have done things. The only time I use like uh, a flex shaft or something, first off, everything, you're cutting stones, everything is diamond. And that means it has to be wet. So when you're using right. a rotary tool, you're throwing water all over town. And it's kind oh, of messy. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I didn't think yeah. about that. I was thinking more of just your sanding off a little bit. But you're right. Of course, it has to be in water. Yeah. So so I have uh, I have one uh, cuff that I did that I, in the metal work, I put a tube in and I set a cab. I did a bezel setting and I set the cab up so that it would be just a little bit above the stonework. Well, what that meant was I had to take my stone and cut out around that bezel because it wasn't. So it's kind of a shadow box looking thing. It wasn't inlaid in there. It was inset. Wow. And so that I had to use a little round rotary tool to get in there because it's a little tiny radius to get in there. So I have used that, but mostly you're grinding on either a flat lap or a lapidary and it, it, you always want to, it's all, you want it wet. It's got to be wet. And then you're testing it with your piece yeah. and then going back. Yeah. Sanding yeah. more, testing. Yep. I guess I was thinking there was a lot of math involved. Uh, not really. The thing, the thing that you have to remember that I find with beginners, uh, what they forget is um, there's two planes. So if you're looking at the side of a, of a stone and you want to cut a right angle on that stone. Well, you can look down on the top of that stone and you see one straight line and then you can make the side, you can make that angle and get a 90 degree angle. The problem is you also have to look then instead of just looking at it from the top, you have to look at it from the side because you can have a nice square angle on the top and then but when you look at it from the side, you've undercut the thing or you've overcut the thing. So instead of being a 90 degree, it might be 95 degrees or it might be uh, 72 degrees. You, you follow me? So every time yes, you're, so. yeah, every time you're cutting your stone, trying to fit your stone, you have to think in, in two planes there so that uh, it fits uh, top and bottom and side to side. I guess is the best way to explain it without being able to point to something. I think I, I think I know what you mean. And so when your pieces are all uh, inlaid, then do you come back and polish across the top of all of them or should they ideally be pretty close? Well, they're like I said, I kind of, I kind of break it down into two types flush mm -hmm. inlay. So when I do flush inlay, what I'm going to do there 
is I'm going to take all of my stones and get them all installed. And they're all about the same height, but they're not. They're uneven. But they're all about the same height. I will then grind the a bracelet is a good example. I'll grind the entire thing down so now all the stones are flush and then I'll polish them so everything's nice and smooth. And that's that's one thing uh, that uh, I love about uh, inlay is, you know, it's that nice, smooth feel, you know. Um, I did uh, a mosaic flush inlay uh, turquoise cuff for my wife and it was, oh my gosh, it was the biggest pain. But ooh, <laughs> honey, it looks so good. And oh, I mean, so satisfying, and, right? <laughs> oh man, and you just want to run your hand over it. It's so nice. As opposed to if you're doing the pillow inlay, which is each stone is uh, fitted and then polished alone, and then it's inserted. So instead of being a complete, total, seamless, smooth transition from stone to stone, you have one stone that goes up and it's nice and shiny. Then you have the next stone goes up and it's nice and shiny. And you have the next stone that goes up uh, so that each each piece is polished individually, if that, that makes sense. Because it's kind of a craggy effect and the sides yeah, are polished yeah. too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really beautiful too. I think when I... It's funny when I think about inlay, um, I have this rock hound friend who uh, was a hundred years old and wow. he showed me some of the work that he used to do on the back of his pickup truck when he and his wife were traveling the Southwest over wow. for 30 years, I think. And the, he lived mm. in the Midwest and uh, was a farmer. Uh, but he showed me a piece that he made that was a Thunderbird right. you know, that he had created in Sterling. And then he did the stone inlay in it with all kind of smaller stones. So it was a pretty good size, probably bigger than a quarter bird with the rocks that were, that he had, you know, found or purchased and then polished and created that same channel effect, but in a shape like that. Right. Well, so and in the, in the late, top. In the late 20s, early 30s, the Poblanos, which were uh, uh, Zuni, did a lot of uh, kachinas and uh, thunderbirds, eagles, uh, bolo ties. And they, right. they kind of were a combination of inlay and uh, because they, they cut like a little foot and then they wrap a bezel around it you know, as opposed to then they'd make an intarsia for maybe the body of the eagle or the wing of a knife wing bird or something. You follow me? So they kind of uh, combined a lot of techniques and made just incredible pieces, which is another thing. Uh, one of the things I like about inlay, and I tell I tell my students all the time, you know, learn techniques, learn techniques, because you can take the same technique and apply it to a ring or a bolo tie or a pair of earrings or a pendant or a nose ring or a cuff, you know, whatever you want, if you know the techniques. And by, by uh, not uh, using only one technique, in other words, by combining techniques, you become 
unique. That's where you kind of, in my opinion, you know, you kind of start to find your voice uh, as far as an artist and where what you become known for and what people look to you for. So right. anyway. Yeah, I think that's true. It's a little bit like being in the kitchen. You know, the more techniques you or the skills you learn in the kitchen, which I have yet to learn a lot of them, but I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. So far, the ones that I know, you know, when I can combine them in different ways. Right. It is exciting to make something totally new. And mm-hmm. it's kind of similar in the jewelry studio. But I do think that, um, you know, of course, the materials kind of inform what you want to create. And I know yeah. that you love turquoise and all kinds of rocks. So I can see why this makes sense, combining this skill with your metal smithing. Right. Well, and... You know, just take a technique like overlay, okay? You know, of course, uh, the Hopi were famous for their overlay work. And basically, you you take a bottom piece, and then you take a top piece, and you cut out something on the top piece, and you solder them together, and you got a design, and it looks pretty. Well, you can take that silhouette. Yes, you can take that same technique, only make the top piece really thick, like 14 gauge or something, and cut out. And now when you solder down, now you have a channel that you can inlay into. Aha. Aha. So um, that's a, you know, just combining techniques and kind of thinking out of the box a little bit, you know, and it, it just, it just gives you more tools on your belt or in your toolbox as it were. Exactly. That's what I was just getting ready to say. I think the more, skills you can put in your toolbox they come out in different ways and I like your um idea that they also can combine into your own artistic vision you know to empower you to make what you want to make and create a look that you're known for right um on every episode I ask people what is your favorite piece of jewelry if you have one and also if you would like to share a little bit about your favorite stone well my favorite piece of jewelry, I made uh, a big inlay cuff. Uh, I call it across the universe. And it's, you know, it's got the intarsia of the universe with a comet and the moon. And, you know, it's basically I totally ripped off Jesse Menangia. Uh, <laughs> but um, he hasn't come he, knocking yet. So, yeah, okay. he's not. No, I love Jesse. I took a class from him and, and uh, he's, he's a funny guy. But anyway. Back to, so anyway, I call that across the universe and that's my favorite, uh, probably piece of jewelry. And I wear it all the time. Uh, and you know, people say, Oh my gosh, it's so expensive. And you know, you don't wear that while you're, you know, making jewelry or teaching classes. I go, yes, I do. I made it cause I like it cause I wanted to wear it. So I do. And then, uh, obviously my favorite stone is turquoise. I love turquoise. And I love the matrix, you know, when you get the, I've got a bunch of Persian turquoise uh, that I've had for quite a while, but it's, it's just blue, which on the one hand, yeah, it's, it's very pretty, but it's just blue. I like the matrix in there, you know, the spider web and uh, some of that stuff. Yeah. It, to me, that just really gives it personality. And anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, it looks like it. where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you have a pretty good collection of different turquoise from different areas. I do. And part of my problem, of course, is I cut cabs and then I sell them. 
I'll tell you, sometimes it's hard. (laughs) It's like, I don't want to sell it. And then my wife reminds me, hey, it's your business. Got to pay the bills, babe. Got to pay the bills. (laughs) So, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it it fluctuates. It comes and goes. And every time, whenever, you know, we go to the gym shows in Tucson, it's like, don't buy any turquoise. Don't buy any turquoise. Don't buy, you know, but I, and I always buy turquoise. (laughs) Right. But anyway. Yeah, I'd love to see inside your shopping bag after Tucson, Sonia. <laughs> some pretty yeah, good purchases somehow, in there. Some, I don't know how it happens. Somehow, it's got turquoise in there. It just keeps jumping in there. I it know. It keeps showing up. Do you, um, do you have a piece of turquoise that you're saving for the perfect project? Hmm. I, um, I don't know about that. I have a piece of old, uh, turquoise mountain. that has got a lot of, it's deep blue. It's got pyrite in it. It's just, Oh, it takes your breath away. And it's like, I'm not really saving it for, it's like, I'm afraid to, to make something out of it <laughs> because it's like, I mean, whatever I make out of it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a masterpiece because this stone is just, you know, you got to do right by the stone. This isn't some little piece of $5 or something you picked up at a flea market. It's, it's a magnificent stone, you know? So yeah, yeah I haven't figured I out what so I'm going to do with it. Yeah. I I love the, um, the ways that we shop for things like that or, or treasure hunt because yeah. it is so true. You sometimes just buy a piece because it's too amazing. You can't leave it behind, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. other times you have a, you see the piece, you have a plan. So sometimes you do find something and you have, you have an idea and you go out and you get what you need. And, and like I said, with, with uh, that big cuff, I drew it out and I knew exactly what I was going to do. Other times you just kind of have an idea and you take what you got laying around and you make something. And other times you're out maybe at a gym show or something and you, you see a cabochon or a rock or something go, huh? And I got to have it and you go home and and make something. So it just, you know, I don't want to get too ethereal, but, but sometimes the rocks do speak to you and they, you you know what you've got to do. And uh, that's why um, I've got this magnificent piece of, of uh, an old piece of turquoise mountain turquoise with uh, iron pyrite matrix. And it's just gorgeous. I'm scared to make anything out of it because I don't want (laughs) to screw it up. So yeah, anyway. I know what you mean. It's those treasures sometimes take a while to brew, you know, and then you come upon just the perfect thing to make. And I yep. love it um, when your skills live up to the piece that you envisioned in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Well, thanks for talking with us about this today, Jeff. This is really cool, and I'm excited to check out your online classes and um, see you sometime down the road. Yeah, hopefully we'll see each other in (laughs) Tucson in February. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Yeah, I hope so too. Well, thanks, Jeff. All right. Thank you, Katie. Take care. Thanks for listening. To see pictures, please check out our show notes, interweave.com slash jewelry dash artist dash podcast. Jewelry Artist is hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker. We had help from Tamara Hahnemann and Merle White, a special thanks to the team at Lapidary Journal Jewelry Artist Magazine. Jewelry Artist is an interweave podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. Our podcast producer is Matthew Talisfor. Tammy Jones is our web editor and Jesse Rodriguez does our marketing. Our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.